0: This episode of the Policy Viz Podcast is brought to you by Juice Analytics. Juice is the company behind Juicebox, a new kind of platform for visualizing data. Juicebox is a platform designed to deliver easy-to-read, interactive data applications and dashboards. Juicebox turns your valuable analyses into a story for everyday decision-makers. For more information on Juicebox or to schedule a demo, visit juiceanalytics.com.
1: Welcome back to the Policy Viz Podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabisch. I'm excited to welcome to the show this week, Mike Pell from Microsoft. Mike is a designer and envisioneer, which is kind of an awesome title, at Microsoft in a group called The Garage. Uh, Mike, welcome to the show.
0: Hey, John. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, Great to have you on. Um, I want to start by maybe having you introduce yourself and, and talk a little bit about your background. And then also maybe if you can talk a little bit about what you do in The Garage. At Microsoft, which in addition to having an awesome personal title is an awesome name for a group to work in. It just sounds like you're, you're hanging around with friends, uh, building cool stuff. So uh,
0: <laughs> that, that's, let's start there. That is exactly. That's exactly what we do, John. It's very <laughs> all funny right. that you would put it that way. Yeah, the, the garage. So it's, first of all, so thanks for having me on. Um, the garage is a really tiny team, but it represents a giant community around Microsoft worldwide where we help employees and small teams really follow their passions, whether it has anything to do with what they do for their day job or not. We're really trying to help people um, get their, their best ideas out in front of you know real people who can help them develop the idea, iterate. We collect data. We help people you know ship their ideas through Microsoft.com, White Garage. And we also sort of do lots of internal hackathons, and we're helping to change the culture uh, as much as we can. Now, I'm sure you've been reading a lot about how Microsoft has changed in the last two years since Satya Nadella took over as CEO, And uh, I think, you know, the garage has quite a bit to do with uh, some of the cultural change.
1: Mm -hmm. And you've been in this space of information visualization, computer graphics for a while. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, sort of quickly what your career trajectory has been?
0: Absolutely. So it's interesting to note that I started off as an artist. And uh, when I was going to school for art, I actually started programming. And by accident, I thought, hey, I can make more money doing this programming thing. But I've always been able to do both uh, the design side and, the, you know, the analytics and the coding part. So I started off way back at the dawn of the Macintosh. I started one of the first Macintosh companies called Beyond with a friend, Stuart Davidson. And we, um, you know, learned everything you could learn about running a software company. That was uh, the good old days. <laughs> but I've always been involved in things that were really more um, information-based and visual. And so, you know, over the years, I've worked for companies like Adobe, lots of Silicon Valley startups, and now Microsoft for the last 15 years. And all along the way, have been very, very fortunate to be able to stay in this, you know, design and, and coding both um, types of jobs. In the garage, a lot of the things that I do are help teams when they come in to sort of assess what type of experience, you know, they're they're trying to provide for people. Whether it's, uh, you know, they're, they're putting out a maker recipe through an open source or they're putting out an Android or iOS app know, or even just creating a new web service, like some of the new ones that we put out, uh, like Fetch, Mm -hmm. where you can, I don't know if you saw Fetch, it's very funny. Um, You can feed a picture of your dog, and it'll tell you what, you know, what breed the dog is. But if you put in the picture of a person, it'll tell you what kind of dog the person is.
1: Right, 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 right. (laughs) Uh,
0: It's it's like, (laughs) that's the kind of stuff that we do in the garage. It's it's very fun. So you're right. uh, We're we're having a blast.
1: Nice, nice. So you've been doing this a long time, and you've sort of seen the transition, as it were, from different types of interfaces. And I know you've also been working on this idea of how do we get people to sort of walk away or look at a visualization, look at some data and sort of get that, you know, that bottom line or understand the story right away. I think what we were talking about earlier, what what you sort of call the moment of clarity. So this is a really interesting topic. I think we should kind of spend some time talking about it. So how do you sort of define the moment of clarity and how does it differ across the different platforms and ways in which we visualize and communicate data?
0: yeah specifically in visualization there's a point where we can put together any type of visualization on the spectrum whether it's you know something very factual you know or or something that's even data art but there's a moment where the person who's um consuming that you know piece will either get it you know hopefully uh, as the author intended or or they'll they'll sort of struggle with what was meant by it and so you know in that time that you're looking at a piece whatever it may be there's a particular moment where most people will say they got it. Mm-hmm. Those, you know, it's the aha moment. And as a designer, you know, as in yourself, of course, you know, somebody who does a lot of presentations and talks, you have to try your best to, to get your point, to be very clear. I've always, you know, over my career, I've tried to practice what I call a radical simplification, right? It's getting rid of a lot of extraneous things and, and also focusing on the clarity aspects but the fact is you know people are very very different the situation is different what emotional state are you in when you're looking at this what's your background you know like how deep have you been exposed to any of the information before so the moment of clarity varies from person to person situation to situation but i've always had this hypothesis that we could do a much better job of engineering the moment of clarity as you know data scientists and designers and coders you know and people in this in this community Whereas I think it's taken off, you know, sort of one-off sort of a way right now. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of room that we can improve.
1: Yeah. And do you, so how do you view the different ways in which we communicate data from sort of your one-off graph, may or may not be static, to sort of a big interactive data tool? I mean, how do those, how do you, how do you get people to get to that moment of clarity when you have such different um,
0: ways to communicate data, and communicate information? That's an excellent question that's exactly the question that I asked myself mm-hmm. uh and started to I've, I've been collaborating over the last 6 months with uh, a guy from the London Business School named Matteo uh, Visiton and so Matteo and I Matteo's a visual um you know visual designer but he's also a behavioral scientist and so we've been exploring ways to measure and test you know how people react to the way that data is presented in certain ways and that I, I don't want to uh try to make this into something that is you know, a template or a, I don't, cause I don't think you can, frankly, yeah. but, but I do think that, you know, we can put together a set of principles, you know, or guidance that can help the authors, you know, the, the individuals and the teams putting information together or pieces together to be able to help people get to the moment of clarity, perhaps more uh, quickly or efficiently than they have in the past. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times, you know, th- there are so many different types of visualizations. There's a very stock, you know, charting and things that you would find inside of Tableau or Power BI or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then there's also pieces that are much more thoughtful, you know, like you had Kim Rees a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, and, you know, right. certainly the pieces that Periscopic does are, are quite thoughtful and they, they take a little bit to sort of digest, you know, in some ways. And then there's other pieces that are just purely meant as art and mm-hmm. they're based on real data, uh, but, you know, but they really might take some time to soak in to really understand. So for any of those things, the methods that we've discovered that you can use um, really vary you know, from person to person to the point where we feel like we have to offer multiple ways or multiple dimensions that you can um, consume this information. Right. And so that's sort of been the key for me is that there is no such thing as one size fits all as far as moment of clarity goes. So we as, you know, tool builders and platform builders and artists and designers and data scientists, we can do a much better job of presenting information in ways that allow the person to go in, you know, at the altitude that they're comfortable with, whether it's high-level summary, low-level detail, you know, or or how broadly or how narrow they choose to consume it.
1: Right. I mean, I think that last point is is probably part of the key, right? Because In some cases, you are putting out a visualization that is for a specific audience. You know, think of, you know, an academic journal, right? You write your academic journal article. You know that the reader is sophisticated. Well, maybe (laughs) a sophisticated reader who knows the field that, you know, is reading the article for that reason. But then you have other pieces that you're trying to hit multiple audiences, maybe trying to hit a broader audience. And so how do you balance trying to sort of meet the needs of all these different audiences with different interests and different skills and, and different sophistication. How do you sort of get that moment of clarity for different kinds of user? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think that, you no, you'll so probably in, just have the answer for this, right? Like, just yep, yep, I, well, problem. actually,
0: I, I kind of think I do Okay. Uh, okay. In, in the long run, the tools and platforms that we use will have the ability to allow you to construct uh, pieces. I'll just call them pieces of content, whether they're charts or, you know, narratives or, or PSAs or whatever, that allow the the reader, the consumer, to view them and experience them at what I call altitudes, at different altitudes. And, you know, as the author, you may pick one of those altitudes, let's say, high-level summary to be the default, but there's enough data to allow people to drill in. There's enough um, cross-references and linkages to allow people to explore the periphery and related topics. And so I think that in the long run, the tools and platforms are really the things that will allow us to build what I call smart information mm-hmm. is, you know, pieces that are, are very fluid and much more malleable in the way that they can be consumed. And in the short term, I think it really comes down, unfortunately to the authors. Uh, we have to stop producing dead pixels. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We, we have to stop making things that, that can't be um, explored and prodded and drilled into. And, and, you know, I'm not saying you have to ship, you know, all of uh, the capabilities of Tableau or something with each piece. But you need to have the ability to consume it in the way that's right for you. And that's, unfortunately, in the short term, going to be on the shoulders of the authors of these things.
1: I'm curious, there's for a while been, I'll call them interactive visualizations, but they're basically static visualizations that have some sort of interactivity just sort of, you know, layered on top. So it's a line chart, there's three lines on it, and it allows you, you know, the visualization, Uh, allows you to click a button or click a point or click a line and it highlights. And I wonder whether you think that level of interaction actually helps people get this moment of clarity or if it's just sort of gratuitous and going forward, whether you think that type of interactivity is not going to be as common or is not going to be as used so much because it doesn't necessarily help people better understand, just allows them really just to play with something.
0: Yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm pretty against what I call putting different dimensions on rails, right? Just, mm-hmm. you know, isolating a few variables and letting people move some sliders around. Right. Uh, I, I mean, that's fine, you know, if, if that's gonna help you to get a little bit more of the detail in a piece, but really it comes back to the, the design. This is all about people, right? It's about, you know, what did the author you know, or the team, what did they really think the outcome of this was gonna be, like, what were they trying to get across? Were they trying to be completely factual? Like, like let's take, for example, uh, you know, if the New York Times is going to present, you know, an election result, they would like to be as factual as humanly possible, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In the presentation of that information um, versus uh, let, let's take something like you know back to periscopic where if you look at their um, at their gun piece, that to me that's that's you know sort of a like a PSA. There's a message there, I- intentional, right? You know, they're they're not you know hitting you over the head with it, but it's pretty clear right. you know, what their, what their point of view was. And so, as as the authors, as the creators of information, we really need to focus on what we're trying to get across. And you know, I'm very fond, uh, as you know, of saying, um, "Just tell me." Mm-hmm. Right? When, when you're designing a visualization, just tell me. Don't make me sit there for minutes, you know, or hours trying to figure out what you're trying to tell me through the way that you've uh, chosen to depict something. Right? And I think oftentimes we have been skewing towards um, beauty, you know, or you know, visual interest rather than being clear. And, you know, being clear is is hard. You know know this. You have to present all the time. It's very hard to be clear and concise in a short amount of time. But yet you sort of have to isolate that. You need to figure out what is it that is the most valuable thing to get across to people and how can you do that without ruining the aesthetic, you know, or the artistic integrity of a piece that you're working
1: on. And where do you think that line is between sort of the clarity of presenting information and design. Um, I'll give you an example. I was rereading a Medium post earlier today, actually, by um, Martin Wattenberg and Fernando Viegas. I think that was early last year, middle of last year, about critique in the data visualization field. And one of the examples they showed was sort of a radial chart of, of things going on in, in the Middle East. And so you had this sort of, you know, 10 or so countries going around this circle in sort of a big radial chart. And Alberto Cairo from Miami had redesigned it sort of more of a, it was basically a dot plot or a column chart. So it sort of <laughs> got rid of the circles part, right? Because, it, yep. you know, his argument was, well, yes, you don't really... Know.
0: Circles are evil, right? Circles
1: are <laughs> evil, right? But, you know, and you see these sorts of things all the time. Let's get rid of the circles and let's use the bar charts. And but sometimes the circles, there's an aesthetic beauty to it or, or something that's attractive to it, but not necessarily allowing you to sort of dig in and, and see all the detail and all the minutiae of, of the data. So I'm curious, how do you think about the balance between the aesthetic that pulls the reader in versus a sort of, you know, maybe more of a, this is a lot clearer because I have bars instead of circles?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I very oftentimes I talk about being beautifully clear mm-hmm. and the point there. And, and I completely agree with Alberto most of the time about trying to get back to the, uh, I would say, the most um, clean and accurate representation of data as you can. But you, you have to have some form of aesthetic you know, or visual interest or people will just blow by it. Right. right. I mean, like, like, why would you even bother to stop to look at another line chart? Mm-hmm. Like, like, who cares? And so there's a lot of room to introduce through call outs, through the way it's laid out, um, through sort of helping people focus on the important parts of the charts. i like got come across something in, on Flowing Data. Uh, you know, Nathan was talking about this taxi ride volume during the Super Bowl chart that had come out, right, in, mm-hmm. in Upshot. It was super interesting. There was a great example of helping people focus on an important piece of information. So, right in the middle of this, you know, thing that's sort of like a histogram looking chart. It says, Katy Perry halftime show. This is back when the, the Seahawks uh, and the Patriots were playing the Super Bowl last year. Mm-hmm. So at halftime, you see that there are not a lot of taxi rides going on because it's like very exciting halftime with Katy Perry. People are <laughs> watching. But the the thing that was very subtle in this was at the very end of the games, you're, you know, all Seattle Seahawks fans uh, remember very horribly. Uh, <laughs> there was an interception to end the game. And all of a sudden, there's this giant spike, you know, in, in taxi rides right after that, because everyone's like, oh, this right. game's over. Right. For to right. But you know what? In in the chart, I didn't remember, because this chart looked fairly kind of normal. But wow, that that's like super interesting to me as a Seahawks fan, right, mm-hmm. football fan. But there was no call out about that. There was mm-hmm. just a little thin gray line. And, it, you know, there was an opportunity there for the author to help me focus on the important parts of the data without taking a point of view, without having a, you know, an opinion about it. And so I, I, don't, I think we miss a lot of opportunities to point out the interesting parts of things. Yeah. You know, maybe it's not with circles, but the fact is, as, uh, you know, as designers, as data scientists, as people, you know, trying to get this information across, we can't be afraid um, to point out what our insights tell us. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times people shy away from that. They're they're trying to be too factual, right? They're they're um, they're afraid to. They'll call it embellishing. It, it's not embellishing. It's it's actually um, clarifying, if you ask me.
1: Right, right, right. So it's not just the you don't let the sort of data speak on their own. You you help it out a little bit. You help the reader out a little bit.
0: Yeah, because in this day and age, I mean, who who has time to sit there and try to, you know, understand, like, try to dissect, try to, you know, because it, it may not be your, your sort of field, right, mm-hmm. of expertise. And you may just be looking at something casually, but yet the author would really like you to come away with something. Yeah. And so very often we miss that opportunity.
1: It's interesting the way the way you you talk about communicating data and communicating information because you have this emphasis of talking about the user being a person, the reader is a person, the person who's created it is a person, and so it, it sort of calls back to an earlier episode of the podcast with Kim Reese and Mushan where we were talking about empathy and, and data visualization. And so I, I wonder what you think about trying to get readers to really connect with the visualization, connect with the data and feel something, you know, and I think there are different kinds of visualizations that get us to feel, um, you know, maybe the taxicab example, we feel something because we all watch the Super Bowl and a visualization on, you know, some microbiology thing that only four people in the world understand is a different type of thing. But what is the impact or what is the effect of, of drawing out emotion and drawing out empathy um, how important is that when, when people are creating visualizations and trying to tell stories with their data?
0: Oh, hugely important. Absolutely, hugely important. I mean, as a designer, I'm all about people and emotion and understanding, you know, what people are, are thinking and, and feeling and, and trying to use that. I think, you know, Kim even mentioned that a few weeks ago that, you know, that she's not even as a data scientist, she's not opposed to, to trying to draw on, on emotion uh, to get people engaged. It is hugely important. And, and, you know, I am also a big fan of persuasion. And a lot of people would say, oh, you know, well, there's no room for persuasion in data visualization. I would say that's nonsense. You know, it is, you know, people like to call it data storytelling sometimes, right? But mm-hmm. the fact is, we should employ all of those methods and all of those tools and all of those techniques that the great storytellers and playwrights and, and people who make movies have used, you know, for so many decades to try to get whatever that is that's important, you know, as an author, whatever I'm trying to get across or whatever my team is trying to get across, let's use everything at our disposal. I mean, as designers, you know, <laughs> we are not above lying, cheating and stealing, you know, to get our, <laughs> to get our way, right? And I, I think the same holds true. And in, in any type of information, communication, um, information, visualization, or data, data visualization, for that matter, We need to draw on um, all of that talent, you know, and all the techniques we have to get our points across. And I I don't think you're going to bias somebody so much uh, unless you actually try to. I mean, if you're trying to be completely persuasive and you're trying to really overtly twist the data, you know, to um, support your point of view, that's one thing. And like, you know, like if that's if that's what you wanted to do, then great. Go do it. But if you're just trying to present information clearly, I do think there's a big need uh, to draw on the, you know, on the people part of it, right, mm-hmm. on the emotional part. You
1: touch on a couple of things there. I mean, persuasion a lot of times has this negative connotation to it, but absolutely, visualizations are almost always trying to persuade people that the thing that they're showing is true. Uh, right. The unemployment rate is going down. The uh, right. you know this thing is going up. I mean, there's all levels of persuasion. I guess the right. sort of the difference is whether you're being honest with the data, and trying to persuade someone that your perspective is correct, given that you are on using the data honestly, and then there's a right. the person where you're distorting the data either visually or in the way you've created the final product um, with the data itself and you've distorted it in different ways. I'm also curious when it comes to persuasion, when it comes to getting people to connect sort of emotionally to uh, visualization, how important it is to connect at the individual level. So we have mentioned the periscopic guns piece. And one thing about the guns visualization is that it has a line for each individual in their data set. How important is it for... For a creator to convey those individual stories, and maybe not sort of always aggregate into six bars, uh, but show <laughs> you know show more of the the individual observations, the individual stories.
0: Yeah. Well, again, you know, it's always context dependent, right? Mm, sure, sure, sure. But whenever, whenever possible, I would always tend to try to um, go to the individual person if possible, whether it's in the data or whether it's in the consumption of that. So maybe I'm talking about a very big concept, like, you know, like let's talk about very difficult world issues. Mm -hmm. If I can't make a personal connection with what you're telling me, then chances are I'm gonna move on to something else. So super important for you, the author, to to try to get me somehow as an individual interested in in what you're talking about, so I can dig in, so I can actually, you know, get all the benefits of, of what you're trying to do. In some cases, I don't think that's possible, right? Mm-hmm. I, I I just don't think that you can involve an individual person as well as um, you know as the periscopic piece did. You know, there, there's a certain point where you do have to sort of abstract things. That doesn't mean that you can't use other elements. I mean, you know, not every data visualization has to be on a plain white background. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of things we can do from the design of it, from sound, right, and motion, mm. and, and the way that it's staged. And, you know, all the cinematic elements uh, come into play to sort of make, you know, a, um, like even, you know, going back to that piece as an example, the very beginning of that piece is very cinematic, right? Start yeah. background. Yeah. 2010, something just happening very slowly. You know, all of a sudden, you know, the data starts to draw itself. It's, it's like a story unfolding. Right. And all of a sudden I get the moment of clarity because at about the sixth person, it starts to accelerate and and it hits me. Oh wow. They're talking about a ton of people dying and, and so much uh, tragedy and, and like loss of years of life. I mean, it it sort of gets you, but it gets you because it was done in a cinematic way. Yeah. So perhaps even the most uh, mundane straight up, you know, I would say, you know, data pure type of representation that you could do could actually be presented to help make an individual connection with me to consumer or if it's representing people to sort of show, um, you know, like we were talking about dance earlier. Every single um, pixel on the screen represents a unique piece of data, which mm-hmm. may be a person.
1: Right. Yeah. And so for those who don't know, Sandance is the new project coming out um, from Microsoft Research, where Mike's garage is sort of a part of. Um, you want to talk about it real quickly before we wrap up for people who haven't seen it, haven't heard of it yet?
0: Sure. Um, Sandance is a really great piece of visualization work done by Stephen Drucker and Roland Fernandez in Microsoft Research uh, that you'll be able to play around with um, before too long. And the premise of this is that they've been working on this for years, and you can go find it. But they really wanted to help people uh, explore data. So to me, it's a great example of a new genre uh, of tool at our disposal called a, a data explorer. And it's super fluid in order to move through data sets. You can load your own data you can play around with data sets that are already there. But it allows you to, to look at things very quickly, move on, sort of explore, play what if. You know, try different things out super fast, you know, in a way that we've never been able to do before. And they've constructed this tool in a way that it can be extended. And, you know, they're, they're going to continue to iterate on it and experiment. And it's really about um, helping the visualization community try out new ideas and and hopefully tell better stories with data with using that particular tool.
1: Right. Great. Well, on that note of uh, new tools to explore and trying to maybe be a little more aesthetic and beautiful in our visualizations, even with the boring stuff, Mike, I want to thank you for coming on the show. This has been really interesting. Oh, thank you, John. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you have any comments or suggestions, please let me know. And please rate the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast provider. Uh, it helps other people learn and know about the show. So until next time, this has been the Policy Viz podcast. Thanks so much for listening.
0: Again, thanks to our sponsors, Juice Analytics. For 10 years, they've been helping clients like Aetna, the Virginia Chamber of Commerce, Notre Dame University, and U.S. News and World Report create beautiful, easy-to-understand visualizations. Be sure to learn more about JuiceBox, a new kind of platform for visualizing data, at juiceanalytics.com. Also, check out their book, Data Fluency, found on Amazon.